In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. We'll speak the verse of the week together. John 6, verse 51. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh which I shall give for the life of the world. This uh, passage begins with um, ego and me, as Pastor Bender's mentioned that phrase, I am. Um, and this is part of that whole series of passages where Jesus begins, I am. I am the great shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. I am the door. All these I am. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am when you hear that, especially uh, when Christ is using it in certain passages and imagery, uh, it's supposed to bring to mind to the hearers that word Yahweh or the Lord. And it's the word Yahweh means he is. That's what it's in the Hebrew. It means he is. Awa, Awa is, would be I am. So when Moses was at the bush, the Lord didn't say Yahweh. He said, Awa, I am. I am who I am. And so you have that. Um, and so when the people said, oh, he is who he is. So Yahweh is he is. Uh, but uh, that pet, what is the, what's the I am, he is? What's kind of the basis of those words? What? To be, being, I am being, I am being, you know, this existence. And so the, that's the nature of the word is he is the source of existence. All life comes from him. Uh, all that we have comes from him. So I am the living bread. Uh, and when he says I am, and we have to know, understand, when Jesus uses that phrase, it, it rankled his opponents. It wasn't just, oh, he's just saying I am. Like, you know, I would say, you know, I'm Gary Gelbach. You know, no, it's, they understood the nature of, the, of this word when he said, especially in John 8, when Jesus said, most assuredly, very truly, or truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And their response, they took up stones to stone him because you stoned someone who's a blasphemer. And a blasphemer is one who takes to themselves that which belongs to God. He was claiming to be God, and they knew it, and they were going to kill him. 
And so, they, uh, so when he used that phrase, they know what it means. I am. And then he says living bread. And it also could be translated life-giving bread, the bread which lives or gives life, uh, as opposed to the bread for which man toils by the sweat of his brow. You know, we, you know, you bake your bread. You know, what happens after a while if you sit, if you eat the bread out too long on warm days? What? It dries up, gets moldy, whatever. It just it gets this kind of, you know, it goes bad. But he is the life-giving bread. From him comes life. Uh, it comes without labor or without cost. Isaiah has that imagery. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. There is no price that we pay for this living bread which we are given uh, by Christ. And it has here which came down from heaven, the source of it, out of heaven, out of the heavens, it came down, the coming down, descending. And uh, this is stark contrast to the bread which we make. And even the Hebrews and the uh, Israelites in the wilderness knew there was a blessing, this manna that came from it. What is it? It came from heaven. Uh, now there is a greater bread which comes from heaven, that which they eat and shall live. And now here he has this uh, passage, if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And eat means, you know, there's consuming. But also here, eat means to have faith and hope and trust in something. So to eat is a parallel to believing in Jesus, whoever believes in Jesus. In this bread that he gives, we receive life from this heavenly bread. And if you notice on this verse, in verse 51, he says, if anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. A couple verses later, he says, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. So he goes from a possibility or potentiality, if you do this, you shall live, to a necessity that we must eat of the flesh of Christ, we must drink of his blood in order to live. And so this uh, life that he gives, we will live forever with him. Um, as Jesus noted, the Israelites who ate the manna died, and no more, in the sense of this earthly pilgrimage. And yet those who eat of Christ's uh, body and blood shall share in his life. And we, uh, that was the epistle last week, was that you know, if you die with him, you will also be raised with him. And so our life is totally in Christ. And so this new life we have is given to us in Christ, uh, in our baptism, and again and again we receive that new life in the Lord's Supper. And I think um, uh, I've heard this over the years, and I've tried to emphasize it whenever I, uh, I know Pastor Bender does too, that we eat Christ's body and blood. We consume Christ's body and blood. But the miracle that takes place is that that which we eat consumes us. We consume his righteousness and innocence and blessedness, and yet that consumes us and that we become in him righteous, innocent, and blessed. And so this um, exchange that takes place in your baptism, that what he is, uh, you become and receive. So also in the Lord's Supper, you receive Christ and you have life in him. And then he goes on 
that the bread that I give, I shall give, is my flesh. And so he takes that word bread and moves it into deeper into the, his flesh. Um, although uh, not itself the Lord's Supper, the feeding of the 4,000 and of the 5,000 are a foreshadowing of a greater feast. I remember, you know, Pastor Christensen didn't have this uh, joy. Uh, I think within my first year, I was at a pastor's conference. We were having, uh, being ordained, so back in 87, early 88. We're sitting down, uh, has a bunch of retired pastors, and John 6 had just come up in the pericopes, and I was saying, boy, how this is just so connected to the Lord's Supper, and to a, <laughs> that has nothing to do with the Lord's Supper. I mean, to the, and so then what hymn do we just sing? You know, <laughs> do you know how many of our communion hymns are based on John 6? It is not, the, the people were not eating the Lord's Supper. That is true. They were, they were eating a miraculous meal of bread and fish provided by the giver of that gift, Christ himself. But his teaching about this to them and also the, uh, as Pastor Christensen mentioned in his sermon, the parallels and the wording brings to mind that Lord's Supper. And um, I, just to, it's even more applicable to say, okay, and I'm glad Pastor Christensen mentioned this, that when it says like feeding of the 5,000, feeding of the 4,000, there are some of the gospel writers that say 5,000 men apart from the women and children. That they're specific. So you talk about 5,000, 10,000, 15,000 people with just a few small loaves and a few fish. How can that be? And to your mind right now, what would the science say? It is impossible. It's absolutely impossible. So when you have your um, Calvinist friends or Baptist friends saying, it can't be Christ's body and blood in the Lord's Supper, who said it's Christ's body and blood? Christ said, it's, this is my body, this is my blood. So the same, in the sense, the, from the lesser to the greater, you have, I'll say the feeding of the 5,000 was a lesser miracle than the, what we participate here in the Lord's Supper. Joseph, we got a mic. Come on, mic guy. Hey, we have called like the fourth string now. You know, it's kind of going to the double A, you know, minor league team. <laughs> Did it turn on? I, I guess it depends on what your definition of is is. <laughs> yes, that is true. That, they do discount that by, by semantics and all. But the, the, the lesser, the fact that Christ, and the people knew it. They talked about this. There were witnesses to this, that they knew what was happening. And Jesus said, you know, because I fed these people, you know, he recognized that the people, rec you believe in me. And so this lesser miracle, the feeding of the 4,000 and 5,000, points to the greater miracle of what's happening in the Lord's Supper. It is Christ's body and blood because he says it is. If he can feed this many people out of that little bit, he certainly can take this bread and wine and by his word, by his word, make it. He's got to maybe have him the mic and he can run around. Yeah. <laughs> just pipe when he wants to talk. Well, I guess also the God that created everything out of nothing can also yes. create mm -hmm. more food out of some he can, food. He can, if he can cause the earth to bring forth and grow, he can 
cause this uh, bread and fish to increase and grow uh, because it has this, it's the word which gives life. And then he goes on, which I shall give for the life of the world. Um, and there really, it doesn't say give, it's not in the original text. It says, which is, or which the life of the world, or which is the life of the world. And so um, I shall give my flesh. And I, just to understand that it says, which is the life of the world. There is no life in this world apart from Christ. Because if there's no sacrifice, there's no peace with God, there's only wrath and destruction, there's nothing. And so only in the flesh of Christ do we live, move, and have our being. Otherwise, all is lost. And so his flesh is what gives life and is the life of the world. And even for those who don't believe it, and that's, the great, that's a great promise that he gives to us and to, for the world that there are billions of people that don't believe in Jesus. But does he withhold his benevolence from them? No. He gives freely to all. The rain falls on the good and the wicked. And, um, and so we have in here that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Any comments or questions on John 6? And just know this is the end of the chapter from last week's epistle. John 6 was the beginning. Of, we had the beginning. Now this is the conclusion uh, of... Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going to get into the... Uh, I was on something else in my mind. Okay, no. Anyway, the epistle we had today. So, um, but this is uh, connected to the bread that we have in the uh, feeding of the 5,000, the, uh, the life which God gave Adam, breathing through made a living being. So you have all this life that's uh, in the text and readings today. Okay. If no further questions, uh, recite uh, the verse again together. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Okay, now we're moving on to, we're going to look at the gospel primarily and the Old Testament, uh, just a little more in-depth, um, and uh, look at a few of the points here. So let's go to Mark chapter 8. Um, And people have been at, I'm not shaking hands today. Even I hurt my hand on Sunday, last Sunday, and it hurts to shake hands. So um, I have to be careful at holding the cruets and things like that. So just if you, I, it's not because I'm being rude. I'm just doing a Bob Dole, if anybody, you remember, <laughs> for those who remember that. Also, I do hug, so then I don't need to, to shake hands. Okay, so Mark chapter 8. Uh, the context of this, we have uh, the feeding of the 5,000 had taken place just uh, a few chapters before in Mark. Mark is noted kind of as an action gospel. He moves a lot through miracles. He doesn't do a heavy teaching. There's teaching in the word of Christ, in the, but he focuses a lot on the miracles, the action. Or Jesus had been rejected in Nazareth. He'd set out the 12. We had the death of John, feeding of the 5,000. Jesus walking on the water. Uh, we had Jesus confronting uh, the Pharisees. 
uh, about what comes out of the heart, the Syrophoenician woman. So you get and the healing of the deaf man. So you have the healings going on here, healing in Gennesaret, healing in in the deaf man. And then we have the feeding of the 4,000. So this is the background. So the, why are the people following him? Why are they, it's, he's been, it's like a, a gathering storm. You know, it's kind of like he's here and he's teaching miracles. And as he's doing that, the word is going out about him. And the people are gathering to him. They're coming from, as we know, from a far distance. And by foot, you know, they didn't have, you know, nice cars or electric bikes or, you know, helicopters or airplanes. They had to do this all on foot with their animals and themselves. And so uh, they came uh, to Jesus after healing, after hearing of him and um, what work he had done uh, amongst the people. So he says, in those days, Mark writes, and that it's reference to what happened beforehand. In those days, the multitude being very great and uh, an alternate translation here, which I, I think is uh, kind of uh, helpful, the, the multitude again being great, or there being a great, again being a great multitude, because that phrase is used there, great multitude together. Uh, not the multitude being very, but the, um, a great multitude. And that phrase uh, is used previously um, in Mark chapter 4, in Mark chapter 5, and in Mark chapter 6, a great multitude, a great multitude, a great multitude. And so for Mark to say, and a great, again a great multitude. So you have this, this indicating that this is a recurring uh, event. People are hearing and talking about Jesus. John is dead. The baptizer is dead. Now we uh, are uh, coming into the ministry of Christ. And then the multitude being great, and having nothing to eat, Mark notes this, having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him, and he said to them. And so we have here um, that this nothing to eat, and it, it, it's very, you know, they've traveled, it's, you know, kind of like what I do sometimes, I don't forget, I forget to plan what I'm going to take to eat when I travel, and you, you're stuck with what you get. And, um, and they came from a distance. Many probably followed him, and, but they were following the word of life. And I think this is, um, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. And so, yes, they did not have physical food, but they did have the word of life. They had Christ speaking to them, healing uh, the sick and the diseased and the like. And then he says, I have compassion on them. And... Um, it's a form of splanke. We, we can use that word here because President Harrison uses it a lot. He loves that. Now Pastor Benders uses it. It's a very fun word to say, splanke. Um, and uh, as uh, Pastor Christensen noted in the sermon, it's um, the guts. And um, if you, the biblical times, the seat of emotion was the guts, and for us now it's the heart and also thinking now has moved to the mind and the heart, you know, it's kind of, everything's moved up um, maybe not better, but up <laughs> but I think about I go, when when a bride is getting, you know, a groomer getting married, they get maybe nervous, where do they feel it? in their gut 
you know, when you maybe have to deal with a, a difficult coworker, boss, or a person, where do you feel it? Your gut gets upset. You feel it in your gut. And so the, the spot, this gut, and so he's moved, you know, from the very bowels of his existence. I never heard liver before, but that's fine too. You know, liver's a good one there, but it's all there. And it, it's that movement that uh, from the very guts of him that his, he was in turmoil, anguish for the people. And now, why was he concerned? And what's the main verb in this? And I think that's, he's concerned with them, why? Yeah, there's a word there in the New King, what continued or remained. And I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me. They've continued with me. And then he says, three days and have nothing to eat. So in the sense of that, that they continue. And this word continued has to do with a loyalty, uh, an intensity of desire that to cling to him in, in all. And so they continued with him. And uh, because of that, as a result, they have nothing to eat. Uh, and so here's that. And then he goes, uh, and if I send them away, or the thing I like, it's kind of like if I release them, you know, because they bound themselves to me, you know, to be here to follow me. And he releases them, bids them to go home. They will uh, hungry. And this, the word there um, means no food, not eating. If they sent them away not eating to their own houses, they will faint. And another, uh, kind of looking through that, has the idea of collapsing. You know, your kids say, oh, I'm going to die of hunger. You know, these kids, boy, the girls don't say that because these boys, I'm going to die of mom, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. They're not going to die. When, if you've ever seen someone collapse of hunger, you really, I mean, they just have no energy left. They just collapse. And so that's that imagery here, that without uh, that food, uh, they will collapse. And it is the wilderness. You know, they take note of that. They'd come uh, from afar. Uh, this um, indicates the reputation of Jesus. From afar, they came to him. Not just the region around where he was, but from afar, from Judea and Jerusalem, from uh, Galilee, where the uh, apostles had been from. All these people heard about him and were coming to him to hear him. They came from afar. So their journey, so they'd been with him for three days. A return home would say, be likewise the same uh, for them. And then if they have any kids with them, you know, they're going to be complaining, Dad, I'm hungry. Where are we going to eat? Did you have that problem on your trip down to Texas? I'm hungry. I need to eat. <laughs> you had it. Okay. Okay. Uh, but, uh, you know, whatever, they're, that desire, you know, so they're wanting to eat. They're from afar. They had to travel. And then his disciples answered, and how can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? And the word wilderness is kind of like a wasteland. Um, I mean, it's kind of hard for us to, unless you've been in a, a desert or wasteland, I've never been in one that I can remember. Maybe I was at one point, but uh, I think that the Badlands is about the worst we saw when we were out there. I mean, it's kind of, there's really not a lot of places to grow food, uh, not a lot of water, not a lot of shade, and, and so, and so um, 
the word satisfy here is used in the gospel of Mark and Matthew primarily with the feeding of the 5,000 and in um, the Sermon on the Mount where uh, Christ, in Matthew uh, 5, verse 6, I'll just read that to you here, um, that uh, he says, uh, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled and it's that they shall be satisfied. And I think there is, you know, filled and satisfied in our English have a different connotation uh, than, because to fill means to fill it up, to satisfied is contented. Yes, Pastor Christian. Good, you get you to speak up here. I know you're so shy. I'm going to step away from my kids too. So um, one thought that I think is very connected to that that I don't think I put in the sermon was, um, they're with him for three days, and they are hungering and thirsting. Mm-hmm. Um, that made me think, I guess, if I were writing the gospel, I would have said a week. Because from Sunday to Sunday, you're with Jesus for a week, but you need to be fed every week. Yeah. Uh, so I guess I'm correcting the gospel in that context. Okay, but we'll, we'll take that under consideration <laughs> on the next version, next I, redaction. <laughs> I, also, I also wanted to point out um, something that I noticed was... Jesus feeling from his guts that kind of sense of nausea when you when you when you stick to your stomach sometimes you feel like fainting mm-hmm. and in that way it's almost incarnational where he goes to where they are Excellent. to the sense of so it's just another he, thought he bears the compassion he has is for them is sharing in their their suffering yeah. or whatever their lack their want their need their yeah. thirst very much you know, is the organ that cleanses our blood and so look it up come on people want to hear you okay sorry the liver is the organ that cleanses your body like it is and so when Mm -hmm. jesus says that i have Mm -hmm. compassion out of my liver meaning his cleansing blood bowels do too so (laughs) that's your susan has a comment back there continue is that the same as abide like um, like, it's a derivative. It's a, it's a same compound, but it's a slightly different. Um, okay, so satisfying, content, um, and uh, I think uh, you know, a dinner you might have. You don't feel stuffed. You just say, this is really nice. It's wonderful. You know, just, just little, you know that you're content and satisfied. But he says, where, how can one satisfy these? One, how can one, and that is, how can anyone or someone satisfy these people here in the wilderness? And he asked them, okay, how many loaves do you have? And he, they said, seven. Okay. And uh, seven is, you know, very holy numbers, number of completion, number of the creation, and the like. And so he commanded the multitude to sit down. And the word here, it's not, not just sit down, like you sit down in a chair. It has to do with like reclining to eat. Uh, I remember one of my professors was really big on this. Um, Professor Keel, now with the Lord, but uh, he said that they, one of the postures, I can't do it here, they'd lie on their side, and, they would, and then they would eat with one hand. And so it, 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 not just sitting, but kind of a, a reclining position that they would eat. Uh, and... Uh, 
their food. But that, that was a position of, of eating, a posture for eating, this, to sit down or you know, to be in a position of reclining. Uh, and he took the seven loaves uh, that were given, that they had, and gave thanks, broke them, gave them to his disciples to set before the multitude, and they set them before the multitude. Um, and uh, this again, Jesus took the bread. He gave thanks. He broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, and then the additional thing here is, and they set it before the people. Now you notice that you know, we have the actions of Christ that we hear when we hear these, you know, giving thanks, breaking, uh, and giving to the disciples. There's also this thing that he gave it to them, but what, was the, what were the disciples supposed to do with it? They gave it out. And I think this is, so even though Christ at the Lord's Supper Institute, he gave it to them, he gave it to them to do what? To give it out, to, that they would set it before. And so this, the actions here at the altar are simply a continuation of Christ setting it before his disciples. And they participated, but they also set it before their you know, followers of Jesus that they ministered to and so forth. That generational, after generation. And now uh, we have um, uh, in the next generation. I was thinking about this today. You're 30 years old now, right? As of yesterday, yeah. As of yesterday. Oh, okay. Happy birthday. And Pastor Bender was 30 years old when he came here. He came in 1991, right? Right? He was 30 years old. Just, I'm just thinking, you know, just that time. I, okay, we get older, you know, all this time. But anyway, but the idea that here's, you know, that next generation that's going to be handing over this gift. And... Uh, there, there's a child not yet born that might then be taking over from, you know, Pastor Christensen. That, think of that 35 years. I think when I was ordained, there were pastors there that were in, you know, 30-some years. I don't think any, I think Pastor Meyer was the oldest, like at 40 years and all. But, but that handing down, that what was given is handed down. And uh, Paul speaks of this uh, in 1 Corinthians where he says, that which I received... I hand over or hand away or hand to. Uh, and that phraseology to receive and hand over is a very, uh, that you what you receive in totality, you hand over in totality. You don't make changes. You don't add to the scripture. Right? <laughs> you don't change it to we go on. But, um, but this is what it is. It means to, what he received from the Lord, he handed over. So that whoever received it from Paul would hand it over uh, to uh to the next and all. And so we have this uh, imagery behind it that was set before the multitudes. Uh, the people uh, reclined and ate of this. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said to set them also before them. So he gave them, and the disciples did that. They give what there's given to them to do. Christ gave them to set it before, they set it before. That's what pastors are supposed to do. They're supposed to do what they've been given to do. Uh, then going on, uh, so they ate and were filled. And this is satisfied. Uh, that um, goes back. They were satisfied. They were filled. And they took up seven large baskets of leftover fragments. Now, 
just for interest, for you have your Bibles with you, turn to Acts chapter 9, verse 25, and just read that to yourself, and then we'll talk about baskets. Acts 9, verse 25. Steve, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. <laughs> I, th- I hope that's, I wrote it down correctly. Is, is it, okay. There's a basket. Does anybody want to read just that passage for, those, for the sake of those who don't have it? Uh, uh, we have a microphone here so you can read it out loud. And hurt me, hurt. Anybody want to read it? Pastor Christensen's right there. Then the disciples took him by night and let him down through the wall in a large basket. Okay, this is Paul being out of Damascus, being let out. In a, this basket is the same word that's used for basket in um, the gathering up of the fragments. So, this basket was big enough and strong enough to hold a man in the axe. And we have to remember, in the Greek, they'll have words for basket, 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 basket. Stone, 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 stone. I mean, they have, they have, or we might just say rock or stone. But the idea here, this was uh, a word, it wasn't just a tiny little, oh, a loaf-sized basket. It was a basket. Yes, Joseph. This is the same basket word as back in the, when the Israelites were... Uh, spying in Jer- Jericho? I don't know. that. I'd have to look at the um, Septuagint to find that out. But that they were, if, how the Septuagint translated that Hebrew word. But uh, the fa- this word here is used very infrequently, and it, primarily around the Feast of the 5,000, and then here, and Paul being lowered. So we have this, so this, you know, to say, okay, these loaves that they, that they had, if they're going for a picnic, they're going to not have some huge loaf. They're going to have a loaf, you know, like just like you might have just a small loaf, you know, this size, maybe a little bit smaller. Uh, and just think that there are seven loaves this size, and the leftovers, the leftovers, what the people didn't eat, filled a basket that's big enough to hold a man. The that in itself uh, was to open and enlighten the eyes of the people that what does, when God gives his gifts, does he give them stingily? You know, you just need one piece of bread, Joseph. That's all you need. You know, he just gives in abundance, even to more than what we desire. And the thing is, this is not just about bread. For us, it is about the forgiveness of sins, the blood of Jesus Christ. Okay, go back to the Lord's Supper. How can Christ's body be given for 2,000 years? You know, that, those loaves of bread, that more than made up than, you know, this, you know Christ's body. And the my, blood, I mean, how can it? He gives more <laughs> that he, the, out of the abundance. My cup overfloweth. So you have this idea that uh, when God gives, he gives abundantly. I think I saw a hand by Eunice. Uh, what you're talking about now reminds me of the time when I was sitting in the pew and listening to a pastor who had been, well, he was close to retirement. And he said, I guess that none of you would disagree with me that uh, sin 
uh, how did he phrase it again? That we don't have anything more in the world, uh, more. We have more sin than anything else in the world. He phrased it like that. We have more sin than anything else in the world. And I thought to myself, well, you're wrong because we're sin abounded. Their mm. grace abounded mm. even more. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we have to watch ourselves in our thinking about this sinful world and remember that God has more grace mm -hmm. than anything and is given and us I think so that's much. where the image of the overflowing cup, my cup overflow, I mean, the mercy of God overflows because of that, the, the abundance of, in the, in the feeding of the 5,000 and forth, the abundance of what's left over reveals the grace and mercy of God toward us, that it's an abundance. Do you think, how could I be forgiven? There's not, there's not enough forgiveness out there. Yes, there is. You are forgiven. The blood of Jesus Christ covers all sins. Yes, Hezekiah, that blood of Jesus Christ. He's waving this, the crucifix back there. Yes, yes, Hezekiah, wave that crucifix. Okay, and so there were about 4,000, and he sent them, he released them. He sent them away uh, at that point. Um, are there any other questions uh, about this? I'd like just to jump into the Old Testament just briefly and touch on a few things. Yes, Sir Wallace. One thing about the people um, not having drink or they don't have uh, food and so forth, mm -hmm. wouldn't they have to reach to that point in their hearts too that they're, they have total reliance on themselves and they have to be a broken heart in a sense that they would have to rely on themselves? You're talking about the, the story or just? Yeah, the story. The sense that they would He have knew to... them. He, he knew they were broken even though they don't. How many people have you known that are broken, miserable sinners and never confessed that because they don't know it? And yet Jesus died for them, their sins, right? And so I think he, he had compassion. He knew who they were and what they needed, even though if they denied it, what they needed. He knew who they are. But as far as being satisfied after Oh, yeah, they the would still be satisfied. After the bread and life, they were satisfied. Still, they were filled. They were yeah. satisfied. Yeah. Even though they don't, maybe there were some that may not realize the blessing, the benefit of that, of being by the hand of God, but that was, they were filled. It didn't say some weren't. It says they were filled. They were satisfied. Yeah, I was just speaking from the standpoint that they had, had to reach that point of brokenness. I'm going to have to think about that. Okay. I, I, don't, I don't know if that, at this point, whether it's... Okay. okay. So let's take a look at um, Genesis chapter 2, uh, starting, starting in verse 7. <laughs> And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. So um, the word formed here, it's used here in verse 7, verse 8, um, also um, in verse 19 of the beasts, God formed. And it has to do, oh, the imagery I read, like a potter in his clay, just kind of squishing the clay and forming it in pattern from the muck of the earth, you know, the clay and all that stuff. And so that forming, that getting their hands dirty down in the ground, that's forming from the dust of the ground. Uh, just fascinating to think, you know, that God took us, took this clay and formed it and then said, and breathed into it and became a, I mean, 
Clay is clay. I mean, I mean, I remember as a kid, you know, you'd play the mud. <laughs> John probably made his, tried to make his own things, make them in the mud, and and there's no way you're going to get bones and vessels and organs, and yet God breathed into this clay, and it became alive with his breath, which is very important because this word breath is in, into the New Testament, the spirit, the spirit of God. As God's spirit gives life to man, the spirit of God gives new life to man uh, in the waters of baptism and faith. Who is the source of life here? What is the source of life? Who is the source of life? What? God is through his word, through his spirit, that he is the source of life. And that's why all things are sustained. This whole world is sustained through him. Uh, even though people don't believe it or have believe that it is sustained for them by God. And then the Lord God planted a garden. Who planted it? God planted it. A garden eastward in Eden, and there he put or placed the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground... The Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. So who causes the growth? I think we have kind of rep a little repetition here. God did. Yes. Joseph. I was just thinking, you're talking about the clay. Clay is usually like wet. Mm -hmm. So you have water. Mm -hmm. And then he breathes into this watery dirt substance mm -hmm. and gives life. Mm -hmm. Kind of reminds me of baptism a little bit. Yeah. Well, uh, where did the earth come from at creation? Well, from his word. Well, the earth came forth from the water. Yeah. Yeah, there's very much baptismal imagery. With the, I mean, the water of the earth, then you have the earth coming forth, and then man coming from the earth. I mean, there's very much life. Philip has a comment or question or something to add. When it says... Pleasing, uh, is it pleasing to the eye and good for food? Are those two separate trees or, or trees that are good no, for food? every tree pleasant yeah. to the eye and good for food. Now, now, this is the thing. Because it talked about here, the tree of life was also in the midst of the garden of the tree of knowledge. Yeah. Remember, at the end of creation, it says, the Lord God said, it is good. Everything is good. Before the fall, everything was good, which includes the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Even that fruit was good to eat because it was God's creation. The consequences of eating it, that's a different story. But just because, you know, it's good, God says it's good, but the goodness is that he's giving you a word to, to say, this is death. It might be pleasant. She's thought it's pleasant for food. It looks pretty. I'm going to eat it. No, it might look good, and you might think it's good. You know, you know some guy, and oh, she looks pretty good. No, I was got, actually, I was thinking more along the lines of making things that aren't necessarily for eating at all, but are just pleasant for making the oh, world oh, beautiful. Oh, for, right, yes, everything was there's pleasant, the, the flowers and everything like that. Yes, all that was good, good, pleasant to the sight. Uh, I mean, look at the, some of the trees that bud and, and the flowers that you know, the fields that bud, you know, bloom. Yes, Joseph. Just like when you discipline your children, you don't want to do it, but at the same time, they need it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes your parents need it, too. No. 
I'm not saying anything here, Wally. <laughs> okay, so anyway, just so that we have this imagery that uh, it, got, it sprouts up. He causes the growth. He made it grow. So who causes these plants to grow out here? Well, if we had some good people that planted them, and put them in the ground, but the nature, the source of their growth comes from the Lord himself at creation. We didn't somehow change how plants work. We just figured it out and cultivated it and nurtured it. What? Dominion, yeah, dominion, yeah. Okay, and so the next part here, now a river went out of Eden um, to water the garden. From there it parted, became four river heads. The name of the first is Pishan. It is the one which skirts the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. See, gold is good. Bedellium and the onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gahon. It is the one which goes around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Hidalco or Hidalcal. I have trouble with that one because if I saw the Hebrew letters, I probably would just make it up, but they give you pointing here. It is the one which goes toward the east of Assyria. The fourth river is the Euphrates. Now, the one thing you got to remember about this section, it's pre-flood. The waters came and everything out. So to, uh, I think there's... There's only, if people try to tell you which rivers these are today, it's all conjecture. We don't know. It's just conjecture. If they want to try to tie these to some, because uh, they try to, well, then this is where Eden was. You know. Well, they were, it was destroyed. I mean, the tree, all the, they did, right. But to try, but the thing is, the land, came, the water came back down, and they're, we don't know, but for my, I think the point here is to show the reality that. The, the water and the life that was there that was given to the earth and, we're, and that this was a real place uh, that was talked about and, and given form and shape. Then it goes, the Lord God took the man and put him again, put him in Eden in the garden to tend it and keep it. And as Pastor Christensen mentioned, cultivate and guard. Cultivate and guard it, which he failed to do when he didn't guard it when he let Satan deceive his wife and he just fell right into that same. He didn't guard this creation. Okay, so, um, so the nature of the fall. Oh, uh, you asked about the nature. I think the fall also is not just Eve turning from the word of God. It's Adam shutting his mouth when he should have spoken up. He should have said, Satan, you liar. He's a liar. Has been from the beginning. And so by him, so the, the nature, we want to say, oh, just the, eating the fruit and then, well, that was the final act. I mean, that was the culmination of the sin. The sin began when, they, when they, she desired it. Well, it's beautiful, yes, but to desire it. And yes, her husband said not to touch it. And I, I think when you tell your kid, okay, uh, who's got the, uh, oh, you got, I was thinking Caleb, the girls would obey you. Caleb, don't eat the cookies. You could touch as many as you want, but don't eat them. Is that what you, when you say don't eat the cookies, you mean don't touch them, you know, either. So because, it, you know, well, that feels really good, you know, <laughs> nice and soft, and I want to eat that cookie. See, I know you probably eat the cookies. I would. I mean, but anyway, but the thing is, so to not to say not to touch it uh, is, a, is an excursus upon the text that of the, what the Lord told Adam. He said, okay, we're not going to eat it. We're not going to touch it because of what it can bring about. You had a follow-up? 
I wonder if Adam had opportunity to defend Eve. Well, he was with her. He was with her. The text says they were together. He was, he was, I think this is where when we, I think when I realized that, it says with her. Because what's the big thing? Oh, oh, the woman did it. It's all the woman's fault. She's the one that caused sin to come into the world. We'll blame the women for all our problems. That's what people want to do with that text. And that's not the point. The point is with her indicates that the devil is tempting her and he's with her. And he's going, well, you know, I won't say anything. You know, just kind of, no, no, no. Ow, ow, ow. Yeah. Cindy and then the Pastor Christensen. My question for you then, Pastor, real quick, is does this go against, like, the sixth commandment where he says you... Not only do you, like, if you, if you um, do not love your husband, mm-hmm. meaning, or your wife, and you withdraw mm-hmm. your love from them, which would, that yeah. would be, right? Mm-hmm. Love sometimes is hard. Is this also saying to me as a parent, you need to say no? Like that. Like yeah, you, you, it, you'll be given book, authority. This, right. If you do this, it's going to harm you. You know, if you run out in the middle of the street, you might get hit by a truck. So don't run out in the middle of the street. I mean, that's out of, spoken out of love. But you say, but look at all the, you have a nice plate, you, you know, have your swing set here, and you got a sandbox, and you have all these things. Don't go, you know, in the street. Uh, but the street is good. It'd be transportation. You get to the grocery store, you transport For them, it could be harmful. So and this should give us encouragement to do what is right in our vocation, even when it is hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's a good point there. Okay. <laughs> Pastor Christensen. I think you hit the nail on the head there. Um, I've heard actually the argument that the first sin was especially the first commandment, but every commandment was broken there. I mean, the, the giving of the law comes afterwards, but um, the, the man failed to be spiritual head of the household. And so uh, in that way, it was idolatry. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, you know, you shall not murder because they knew they, because it was going to lead to death. And, mm-hmm. and you could just go on and on. So I think that's a very well he said. He spoke ill of God. He, yep. didn't, he didn't defend God. They coveted something that was not theirs to have. You could just keep going on. Okay, then moving on. Uh, commanded the man not to eat or you'll die. Um, and then the, I'm going to just jump down here just, just to highlight a couple of things. It is not the, you know, good that man is alone. So that's the only thing that God said isn't good in, in the part of creation. Good is man is alone. And then I will make a helper comparable to him. And then out of the ground he formed every beast, the same word for man, uh, and then a field, and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. Uh, So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him, or rescuer. A rescuer is another translation of the word there. She does rescue me from... (laughs) Okay, but this is one thing. Why did God bring the animals to Adam to name? What? Dominion. I think that, that's, that's part of it. But how did he bring them? How did he bring them? Here's one animal. Here's a lion. Oh, now here's a lioness. Or did they come together? It says lion, lioness, cow, you know, a bull, heifer, or whatever. And all these things. As all these animals were being brought to him, 
as male and female, what was Adam going to be learning? What was he going to figure out? There's male and female, male and female, male and female, and he doesn't have. So I think part that there's dominion in the naming, but I think the Lord was also teaching him and creating in him a desire for this helper, rescuer, companion. Yes, Joseph. Also brings to mind uh, the when Noah is filling the ark. God was bringing yes. the animals two by two. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I think, but um, but the life is in male and female. Sorry, world. This is being taped. It'll be popped there on the internet. Life is male and female, and for Adam to continue to Adam to have true dominion, true dominion, he needed his helper, his rescuer, companion with him. And so the Lord instilled in him a desire for this one who would be his coordinate or his comparable one, comparable to him. And so this is, we have the creation, this brings forward all of creation, and that is why we come back to Christ who takes his bride, the church. The creation is not alone in having life uh, given in the male and female, you have the groom and the bridegroom, uh, the bride and the, bride and the groom together form what is life, and that's with Christ. Life comes from him to his bride, the church, and from their life. And so there's very much a picture of that. Uh, for when Adam was created, the rib in the Greek of the Old Testament, it's side, the same word used in John 19. Eve came from his side and was built. I, I should, I'm going on a little long here. But there's a different word for the woman's creation than man. She was built. That's what, and that, that's what the word there means. And so when guys say that crudely, they are still right. But, they're, you know, but the thing is, but it has to do with where was man and all those animals created from? The muck and the mire, the clay, the dirty stuff. But God took from life and he gave him his helpmeet. There, the, and he fashioned it, almost like an architect. Whereas there's a, you know, the potter, here's the architect who designed this woman for man. And so that's the, the background behind that God does this. And as God created Eve for Adam, God gave his church to uh, his son uh, as a bride, and whom he has adorned in beauty uh, through his shedding of his blood. Any comments or additional? Yes, Randy. Yeah, okay. Okay. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Amen.